I don't have a sermon, but I think I have a message. Amen. As a matter of fact, I don't think I know I have a message for somebody today. I don't come saying that arrogantly. I just come knowing what the Lord has talked to me about. I believe God wants to talk to you. From the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, in honor of the Word of God, we stand today and give that reverence to His Word. I'm going to take you to the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 19. And I am going to read beginning with verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezreel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough. Anybody ever been there? When you've just had enough? It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. My subject this morning is this. The most dangerous malady of life. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and say the Lord's going to talk to you. Listen. Amen. Amen. The Lord's going to talk to you. Listen. Praise God. Is there anything that is more puzzling than life? Is there anything that is harder to understand than what we're trying to do right now? Just live, get through today, deal with tomorrow, and move on. I'm not that old, but I've come to realize that life has some very strange twists to it. That when you think it's going to go up, somehow it suddenly turns and goes down. When you think it's going to fall apart, it seems like everything comes together. And the times when you think that everything should come together, they fall apart. Am I talking to anybody here yet today? Life. Who can predict how it will turn out? I dare say none of us have figured that out yet. How many of you this morning, looking back over your life, if you had journaled your life beforehand, if you had had the wisdom to see into the future and you laid out the line of your life, would have laid it out the way you've had to live it? How many of you have ever had to deal with things that came up that you just didn't want to have to deal with? How many of you have ever had to deal with things that came up that you could not understand why they even came up in your life? Especially after you have been faithful 
Some of the greatest trials of my own spiritual life have come after my faithfulness to God. Some of the greatest tests that I've ever walked through in my life have come at moments when I could not understand what God was up to. Who knows what a day will bring. Today, your smiles. Today, you're happy. But tomorrow morning, you could awake to something completely different. Life is just that way. It is so puzzling. And the words of our text probably bear that out better than any other portion of Scripture that I could take you to this morning. And every word that I read to you is remarkable for many reasons, but two in particular. They are remarkable to me, first of all, because of who spoke them. They are remarkable because of who they came from. If you were going to give me a lineup of ten people that would have said what was said in this portion of Scripture, Elijah would not have been on that list of ten. Because from his very beginning, from the first glimpse that we have of Elijah in Scripture, there is this bold, strong, confident, assured man of God who speaks with authority. And when he speaks, things happen. Clouds blow away. The rain dries up. Water does not come. Food becomes scarce. And all because of the words of this man. He is not one I would have imagined that would have ever said, it is enough, let me die. Not only that, but they are remarkable because of the time in which they were uttered. They came on the heels of two of the most exciting and most prolific chapters in the entirety of Scripture. If you go back and read chapter 17 and 18 of 1 Kings you will find that they throb with great faith and confidence and emotion and courage and fearlessness before such a formidable enemy. Anybody ever had to deal with the Jezebel spirit before knows what I'm talking about. And Elijah had stood firm. He had not wavered. He had not even shown the the slightest chink in his armor. And now here he is making statements like, it's enough. I'm, I'm through. I'm finished. Let me die. One would think that after such a display of divine power and victory that nothing would have been impossible to him. You talk about invincible. You talk about Strong, and yet my text shows me, listen to me, a strong and powerful man crumbling before life because it is so uncertain. None of it seems to make sense. When you read chapter 19, it doesn't seem to fit in the flow of all that had happened in chapter 17 and 18. It doesn't fit in the scheme of life. It just does not make sense. Here is a man who had been cared for for three and a half years. 
He had not had to worry about one meal. God took care of him by raven. He took care of him by a raven. He took care of him by a widow at Zarephath. All of those things that were needed in his life, God had provided. And now here he is, fearing and despairing for his life. And he is about to run. He's about to take off and start running. Running away from the kingdom. Running away from the calling. Running away from all that God had had called him to the times to be. And when he started running, he ran all the way to the southernmost point of the kingdom of Judah to a town named Beersheba. And there he left his servant and he went another day's journey. Now, some of us, we don't understand that, but let me put it in context. He has traveled between 90 and 100 miles on foot. Running away. Running away from what? Running away from who? Somebody said, oh, I know who, Jezebel. Wrong. Not running away from Jezebel at all. There's something deeper even than that. He's run between 90 and 100 miles and he's weary And he's exhausted and he has not had much food to eat or water to drink. And he reaches that point somewhere in the Negev desert and he falls under a juniper tree, a little shrub of a tree. And as he falls down to the ground, his prayer begins to be, God, it is enough. Let me die. Let me die. The whole picture doesn't seem right. You talk about a pendulum swing. I mean, he's, he's up here in 17 and 18, and he's over here. You ever had that happen in life? I mean, just the total opposite of what you had been living and enjoying and experiencing. All of a sudden, boom, you're over here on the other side, and you don't even realize what's happened or how it happened. Yet all of this is an expression of one thing. It is an expression of a certain condition in the soul, in the human spirit. We can blame it on weariness, and a lot of times we do that in life. When we get into the place that Elijah was in, we blame it on our symptoms. We blame it uh, on our fatigue or our hunger or our lack of sleep or are dealing with jerks in life or dealing with people that don't have enough sense to come in out of the rain. We're dealing with problem people. And you know, when you deal with problem people, you have problems. Anybody know that? Do you also understand that you can beat the devil down to a pulp today and he'll show back up tomorrow? You can embarrass him. You can, you can show him to the world to be a fraud And show him to the world to be nothing but powerless wind. And yet tomorrow morning, he'll come knocking again on your front door. And that's exactly what happened. You can beat the devil down every day, but he's going to come back. That's just his nature. You know, Jesus said something one time, and I thought, you know what? It's not only true. He said, the poor you have with you always. Well, guess what? The devil you have with you always, too. And if you think 
that you're going to wrestle him down one night in prayer and you're going to untie or you're going to tie him up and you're going to bind his hands and you're never going to have another problem out of him. You are a bigger fool than I think. But you are not just foolish. You are missing the whole point. He's just too hard to get a handle on sometimes. This was an expression of a human symptom, a human condition. You see, from the onset of Elijah's ministry, he had been a man of action. From the very first glimpse that you have of him in chapter 17, here is a man who steps out into the mainstream of Israel's life and there is not a question, there's not a doubt, there's not a hesitancy, there is not a fear, there is not anything but boldness and courage and confidence and assurance and when he speaks his words reverberate with power and when he speaks there's something about him that arrests your attention and he faces the most formidable of foes in Ahab and Jezebel and to this day there is no spirit in the world that can be likened to the spirit of Jezebel. And even in the book of Revelation, when God gave John the revelation of things to come, he saw even in New Testament time that spirit was still alive and still working, and yet Elijah had beat that spirit down to the ground. He had beat the the, the gods that she proclaimed were her power source, and he had beat down the false prophets and their lies, and all of that was before him. He had been a man of great action. And then Elijah moves from acting in 17 and 18 that when you step into chapter 19, something very subtle happens. And he stops acting and he starts reacting to life. And folks, when you start reacting to life, things start to unravel. Stay with me a few minutes and I'm going to show you what I mean. He moved from purpose. He moved from acting with direction. He moved from this certainty about his movement and his steps. He moved from this life of vision and focus and knowing what he was doing and knowing what needed to be said to now he is reacting. He's he's trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And when he starts reacting to life, life just begins to unravel. Everything in his life begins to go down the tube. All of his boldness, all of his confidence, all of his assurance, all of his faith, all of his his courage, it just, poof, it's gone right down the drain. And he stands there like a weak, shriveled up man of nothing. And you're looking at him, you're thinking, how in the world? It's like something just sucked the life out of him. And now he's just a shell of a man that he used to be. How fragile life is, even to the strongest people. And to have the courage sucked out of your life so quickly can really stagger you. The fall into such deep depression of mind and thought that came so suddenly is almost unbelievable. But the real issue in this man's life 
is that he moved from acting to reacting to life. And when you start reacting to life, there's several things that start a domino effect in your life. And I want to show you from the text what happens when you start reacting to life. When you quit living with a purpose and you quit living with an understanding that you're a child of God and call of God. And if God brought you to it, he'll take you through it. And if God called you, he had a reason for calling you. And when he called you, he had a purpose in calling you. And what God called you to do, he's not going to abandon you in the process of you doing that. When you lose sight of that and you lose sight of the fact that you have been called, you have been chosen, you have been hand-picked by God, and you start reacting to life, everything in life begins to fall apart. And the first thing where it shows up first is in your thinking. When you start reacting to life, you, you go back and read the story and watch what happens when Elijah started reacting to life. The first thing that was affected was his mind and the way he was thinking, the way he was processing all of this stuff that was going on in his life. It is amazing how we can let something get in our head and start messing up our thinking. Starts right up here. And that war starts going on. The thing that had been so certain the day before now seemed a little shadowy. Those things that he had no doubt about yesterday. Now he's got a big question mark before him. And he's not sure if he understood God right or if God really said what he said. Or if God even meant what he said. And so... It starts working on our mind and you begin to lose focus of what really matters and our mind, our thinking, our thoughts, they become clouded and overwhelmed and our reasoning becomes flawed. When we allow our minds, when we start reacting to life, we let our mind play tricks on us. We let our mind convince us they don't like us. I know they don't like us because the way they talked to me just a while ago. I know they don't like me because when I went to shake their hand, they turned around and walked away from me. I know they don't like us. I know he doesn't like me because when I try to express my feelings toward him, he just shuts the door. Reacting to life reacting to all those things that happen and it starts playing on your mind and so everything that you were sure of i know he loves me i know he cares for me. i know she she's she's my best friend i know she would never betray me all of a sudden you start looking at them in a little different light you, you don't you don't look at them like you did before you start wondering are they out to get me too and the next thing you know you've got this huge conspiracy theory going on that everybody in the church is out to get me I'm going to have to find me a new church to go worship in. Nobody likes me. Somebody got my parking place. Somebody got my pew. God forbid that would happen. Somebody got my seat. They're all, they're all after me. Am I telling you the truth or what? When you start reacting to life, the first thing that's affected is your mind. And you start thinking your way into the dump. 
you start thinking your way into some of the dumbest actions and the most foolish things that a man could even imagine. I cannot even imagine Elijah running. I can't, well, I can't, I can't imagine him running too, but I cannot imagine him running away. It just it does not compute in my mind. And yet this is the same, and this is not a do, this is not a, a bipolar guy that just one day he's up and one day he's down. That's not what we're, we're talking about a man just like us, a, a person just like you that's been hit by something in life they were not expecting. They thought they had beat it down yesterday and it shows back up with greater force today. And you're wondering, what do I have to do to kill this? What do I have to do to get this out of my life? Let me tell you that there's some things you're never going to get out of your life. You're going to have to learn to live for God in spite of them. You're going to have to serve God no matter what happens. You're going to have to live for God whether he answers all of your prayers or he doesn't answer all your prayers. So he starts working on the mind. And then all the conflicting emotions that come crashing down, the humanness, the limits, the load capacity. All of a sudden, our mind, we become focused on how fragile we are. Well, I just can't handle any more of this. But he was, I just can't take it. I, I'm at my limit. I'm up to here. I know some of you, you're up to here, but I'm up to here. I just, and so all of that starts to, to, to work in our life. And when that happens, then we lose control of our emotions. When you start thinking like that, all of a sudden, all those things that were your asset, all those things that were what helped push you out and make you the person, that, all of a sudden they become your enemy. Your very strength becomes your enemy. He was a bold and courageous preacher at one moment, and he's a weak, shriveling, crying man laying down under a tree the next moment, and you're thinking, what has happened to this man? His emotion, he loses control of his emotion. They betray him. He becomes fearful. Immediately fear shows up. Fear is the opposite of faith. And that's what he had displayed for two chapters of his life is nothing but faith and confidence and boldness. I mean, he steps out in what, right in the middle of a, of a whole parcel of prophets of Baal and, and mocks them and says, I'm, maybe he's asleep, maybe you need to cry louder. Yeah, he, he's mocking their God. He's making for you. Think, come on, little I just you know, give him a break, my Lord. Don't act. Just you know, it's going to come back to bite you. He wasn't afraid of that. And now those same feelings have reversed. Who can I trust now? I wonder who's on my side now. Yeah. And so fear comes creeping in, and then we start to lose courage, and it vanishes. It, it, it goes out of us like water. We begin to question things that we knew for certain. We begin to doubt things that we have settled in our mind, and then we start hesitating. We put our hand in, oh, well, 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 maybe, oh man, I don't know what to do, Brother Hughes. I'm just, I'm so afraid I'm going to do something wrong. 
When you start living like that, you are going to do something wrong. And Elijah did. His courage was gone. He began to falter. You know, it's amazing that a few days before that, he had stood at the widow of Zarephath and said, go fix me a cake and you'll be able to eat too. But he said to the woman, do not be afraid. Go do this. And now the man who told somebody else to not be afraid is terrified himself. Am I talking to anybody that's given out some really good advice before? Somebody who said, just be strong. And, and now here you are. You're just a nervous wreck. Oh, brother. I just, I believe, oh, Lord. Please. We come to church like we don't know what we're supposed to do. We don't even know how to lift our hands. We just kind of stand there and stare and look at space and wonder when they're going to get to the next step, thinking that somehow we're going to be energized. You know what? You're not going to be energized living like that. The only way you're going to be spiritually rebirthed is to take what God has provided for you. And Elijah finally got to that point down the road. But I'm here to tell you this morning that when you start reacting to life, fear shows up and your courage will vanish. And that once confident, bold, assured man is just a dribbling, pathetic mess. And then when you react to life, the next thing that happens is you become defensive. And I, I don't know who I can trust around here. And so you, you pull yourself away. All you want is your servant. Come on, it's just me and you now, guys. I don't, all those people out there, I don't know if, I don't know if I can trust them anymore. And we become defensive. People say something. Yeah, I bet that's what you mean. Somebody say, I'm praying for you. Yeah, right. Go tell that to Santa Claus. Hmm. Become defensive. Got a little chip on her shoulder. You know what I've learned about chips? They're going to get knocked off. So don't be shocked. You got one on your shoulder? I promise you, I'll knock it off. Not on purpose, but that's just the way chips are. Chips fall. And if you go through life with this little edge on you, and everybody's got a tiptoe, oh, that's sister so-and-so. Better be careful. That's brother so-and-so, man. You better not shake his hand. I'm, I'm just meddling right now, but I feel the Holy Ghost while I'm meddling, so I'm going to keep meddling. Yeah. We get this wall built up around us. And I dare you come close to me. Somebody tries to come up and love you. And just like an iceberg. They smile at us. We go. Am I telling the truth? That's what happens when you start reacting to life. Let me get back up here where I belong. I'm out, I'm out of my element down there. And that is the most dangerous place. It becomes self-preservation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my neck. I'm not going to let anybody else hurt me. So I'm never going to love anybody else. I'm not going to let anybody else cheat, cheat me in life. So I'm never going to trust anybody anymore. I've been hurt too deep. They've done wrong. Somebody turned the phone off. Amber alert. Amen. We find out who Amber is today. 
Let me tell you a good story. This is, some of you need to laugh. Some of you look like you're about to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> As a friend of mine pastored out in California, he had been called to preach his pastor's funeral. And his wife had put a ringtone on his phone that would say, Hey, hey you, hey, it's me, let me out of here. And he's at graveside, and it's heavy, and that phone's in his pocket, and his wife's in California, he's in Oklahoma, and all of a sudden that phone goes off, and hey, hey, hey you, get me out of here. (laughs) Oh, the widow just fell over on her knees laughing. It was the greatest healing bomb that's ever come to a a graveside service, but anyway, I'm just joking. Defensive. Everybody say defensive. We become self-preservers. We want to protect ourselves, and so we, we build these walls up to make sure we go, we run. When you react to life, it will cause you to start running, and sometimes you never know where to stop. You run from one job, to another, you want run from one house to another, you run from one church to another, you run from one business to another, you run from one friend to another, you run from one marriage to another, you just keep running and running and running and running because you're reacting to life. You're, you're, you, you become a preserver. You're just going to, you're going to save yourself somehow, but in the running process, you are not running in the right direction because you are running away from not to. I thought about this this morning early, that when Elijah started running, the trouble was he started running away from where God had called him to. And when you start running away from where God called you to, you are running in the wrong direction. David was a runner. David Just running is not wrong, but when David got in trouble and Saul was pursuing him, the Bible said he ran to the house of God. And when he got to the house of God, he said, Is there any bread here for me? Is there anything for my soldiers? And the priest said, There's some showbread that is reserved for the priest. He said, All right, we'll take that. But not only did he get bread, he found Goliath's sword, and he said, Give it to me. That's the best thing that I need right now. When you are running in the right direction, God is going to give you what you need to get through what you're about to go to. But he's never going to give you what you need when you're running away from him. Mm. Running away is never the answer. Sometimes you just have to suit up and face life. And sometimes you have to play shorthanded. And sometimes you have to play wounded. And sometimes you have to play hurt. It will cause you to retreat before a beaten enemy, this this reaction. Did you hear me? It will cause you to retreat before a beaten enemy. Elijah had already beat him down, and now he's running for his life. And then when you react to life, your eyes become focused not on your Lord, but on your circumstances and on your problems and on your issues. 
And as he began to run and he got further and further and further away. I don't even know if he knew where he was going. I don't know that. As a matter of fact, it is my personal opinion that when Elijah took off running at first, I don't think he even knew where he was going. He was just running. And he goes for days, a hundred miles on foot. And when he finally gets there, he falls down in the tree. And this is, this is something that God talked to me about a little while. I want to talk to you about it. When you react to life, it will cause you to do a wise thing in an unwise way. Elijah fell down under the tree and he started to pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with prayer. I mean, that's what you want to do when you're in trouble is pray, isn't it? Am I, are y'all still with me? Have I missed y'all? There's a better preacher going to be here next week. I don't know who it is, but there'll be a better one. He starts praying. There's nothing wrong with prayer. Unless you're praying in the wrong direction. He does a wise thing. He prays, but in an unwise way. Lord, it's enough. Let me die. And there's a lot of people in this building this morning that have a lot of spiritual wisdom. You've been living for God for a long, long time. You know a lot about God. As a matter of fact, some of you know more. You've forgotten more about God than I know about Him right now. And yet all of that, all of that evaporates when you start reacting to life. And you start reacting to what's happening to you. And you forget that God called you to it. And if he called you to it, Brother Long preached it last week, he can take you through it. If God brought you here, he's going to take you on. He's never had an unfinished product in his life. Never. He always finishes what he starts. But when you come to a point in life where you start reacting, you're not, you're not moving with purpose. You're, 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 you're questioning. You're, you're, you're questioning things that you had no doubt about yesterday. You, you're fearful of things that yesterday were not even on the radar. You're, you're worried about things today that yesterday weren't even in your consciousness. And all of a sudden you're this nervous wreck and you don't even know what you're going to do or where you're going to... And you start praying. But when you start praying... In that kind of way, you're not going to get what you need from God. He prayed, but he prayed wrong. When you start telling God, I've had enough, let me die. God's not interested in hearing that. He's not interested in you leaving the scene yet. If he was interested in that, he would have already taken you. Do you think this dilemma that you're in right now is really big enough to kill you? Hey, am, I, am, I, 
Am I missing something? I'm looking at some people out here that has overcome some of the most unbelievable odds in your life, and you're telling me that right now what you're dealing with is too much for you, that it's going to kill you, it's going to destroy you, you can't make it through it. When I look back over your life and I see what God has brought you through to get you here, and you're trying to tell me that God can't take you through this, I don't understand that. That does not make sense to me. I cannot agree with that. If God brought me here, he has brought me through a whole lot to get me here and if he can get me through all of that he's going to keep me through all of this man and when you start praying in the wrong way when you start reacting to life it will cause you to do wise things in an unwise way and I'm going to close some of your you need to know what time it is it's 1136 There's not really a better way to preach this than the way I'm preaching it, folks. I don't know what to tell you. When you react to life, it will ultimately affect what you say about life. There's nothing left to live for. I, I don't have any reason to go on. Listen to him. He says, I, I've never thought about this until last night. He said, I am not better than my ancestors. Let me die. I'm not better than them. Do you see the subtle change in his life? When you start reacting to life, it affects what you say about life. And you start comparing yourself with other people. And when you start comparing yourself with other people, you're in dangerous territory. Because you see, all God has ever asked for you to do is obey his word to your life. That's all. He didn't ask you to measure up to my standard. He didn't ask you to meet up to what I'm, I'm doing. He didn't ask you to be better than the person sitting next to you. He didn't ask you to out-pray them, out-worship them, out-sing them, out-live them, out-do. He didn't ask you to do any of that. All he asked you to do is just respond to my word. Do what I've called you to do. Be the best person that you can be. Let my word work in your life. Let me bring out the best that's in you. Let me make of you what you're capable. That's all God's ever asked of any of us. And yet we find ourselves so many times in life when we get to this point where we're reacting to life, we start looking around saying, well, well, you know what? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so bad after all. Or worse than that, we start thinking, you know what? I don't belong here. I, I, I don't fit in here. And the truth is God's got a unique program just for you to live and nobody else. You don't have to compare yourself with me and say, okay, well, you know what? I, I pray more than he does. I, I, I worship more. Or, man, they... they there's no comparison. All God's wanting any of us to do is just be the best person we can be. To let His Spirit work in us. Let His Spirit speak to us. Let His Spirit move on us. Let His Spirit mold us and make us. That's all God's ever wanted to do with creation. When He made man in the beginning, He made man in His own image. He made us for a purpose of fellowship. And all God has ever desired from anybody is just fellowship and love and communion. And if somehow 
how he can bring me to that place where I give him that love and I give him that fellowship and I give him that communion, then I have done all that I need to do. I don't have to compare myself to anybody. I just need to lift my hands and say, God, I want to be everything that you have called me to be. Come on, lift your hands and praise him right now and stand to your feet and give him glory. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The most dangerous malady in life is when you start reacting to life. The only remedy that I know to get you out of that is to get to the place where God can talk to you again. God can show you that he's still with you. That his hand is still on you. My, what a, what, what, I wish I had time to preach a little more, but what, what a miracle it was when, when Elijah closed those eyes thinking that this is the end. The hand of God reaches out and touches him. Wake up, Elijah. Wake up, Elijah. Here's a cake and some water. Eat and drink. Elijah half sleepily reaches over and takes God's provision. And he eats and he drinks. And he's so tired he just goes back to sleep. You know what? If we were God, some of us would have said, enough for me. Here I am. I don't have to chase him out here in this desert. I could have let him go out there and rot. But I followed him all the way to this desert. And I gently awoke him from his sleep and said, Eat. Come on, eat. I've got something for you, Elijah. I'm going I'm to I'm help you get through this. And so he comes the second time. Thank God for God's second time. Oh, thank God that he doesn't give up. He just keeps coming. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Elijah, wake up. Rise and eat. This time when he wakes up, he seems a little more sober. And he rises and he eats and he drinks. And something miraculous happens. Hallelujah to God. Something miraculous. This man that had been running... Running, running, running. All of a sudden he stands up and the Bible says that he goes in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights. Once he was just running for his life trying to find a place to get away, now he's moving with purpose because he's been fed, he's been nurtured, he's been, he, he's been encouraged by God. And God brings him to this place where he can one more time show him his great power and his purpose. And he reminds him, there's still work for you to do, Elijah. There's a young man named Elisha that's waiting for you to come by his house. He doesn't know it yet, but there's something inside of him that's long for more of God and to be used of God. And it's going to be important that you get away from this place and get back down off of this mountain and go by his house. 
because when you go by, something's going to happen, and Elijah's going to leave everything there, the field, the horses, the oxen, the, the carts, everything, and he's going to come and follow you. Am I talking to somebody here today that God's trying to get you out from under a juniper tree this morning? You just crawl up underneath there and you kind of pull the, the world in over you just hoping nobody knows that I'm here. I'm talking to somebody that's been living like that. I'm talking to somebody that's just kind of pull everything in. You don't know how to deal with the changes that are going on in life. You don't know how to deal with all the, uh, all the things that are happening around you. Everything is so confusing. None of it makes sense. And so you just, you just pull yourself in. And God's trying to pull you out. Show you that it's not over yet. He's not through. Reach over and take somebody by the hand right now. Holy Ghost. I feel your presence here right now. I feel your presence here right now.